Good morning. This uh, scripture this morning is from Galatians uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. And I apologize. I was going to read it from the versions that you all have out there. Um, <clears throat> but there's a couple of things in this version that are a little different that I thought might make more sense to what we know today for the culture more than for God's word. And we know that's, that's good and sound no matter what translation. <clears throat> My brothers, if someone is caught in any kind of wrongdoing, those of you who are spiritual should set him right, but you must do it in a gentle way. And keep an eye on yourselves so that you will not be tempted to. Help carry one another's burdens, and in this way, you will obey the law of Christ. If someone thinks he is something when he is really nothing, he is only deceiving himself. Each one should judge his own conduct. If it is good, then he can be proud of what he himself has done without having to compare it with someone else, compare it with what someone else has done. <clears throat> For everyone has to carry his own load. The man who is being taught the Christian message should share all the good things he has with his teacher. Do not deceive yourselves. No one makes a fool of God. A person will reap exactly what he plants. If he plants in the field of his natural desires, from it he will gather the harvest of death. If he plants in the field of the Spirit, from the Spirit he will gather the harvest of eternal life. So let us not become tired of doing good, for if we do not give up, the time will come when we will reap the harvest. So then, as often as we have the chance, we should do good to everyone, especially to those who belong to our family in the faith. Thank you, Lord, for, the, for this word this morning, and may you... May we be blessed by it and learn to understand it and be ready to hear what you have to speak through Aaron as he delivers his message. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. You can have a seat and the alphas may be dismissed. Thanks, Dale. Well, we will continue this morning in our study in the book of Nehemiah. We'll be in chapters 5 through 7 this week. Many of you know our family loves national parks, and I am one who follows them on social media. Uh, so this week, there was a funny guy now posting for the National Park Service, and he said this, If you come across a bear... Never push a slower friend down, even if you feel the friendship has run its course. 
And I immediately thought, is there a bear pandemic in the national parks right now? Or maybe the insurance companies wanted to cover themselves and so they wanted to post this on social media. But it, it was a joke. Uh, and it comes from a similar train of thought that you've probably heard before, that the chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Or the relay team is only as fast as its slowest runner. Well, so far in Nehemiah, we have seen that the fear of God leads us to not fear men. Uh, he has shown us that we are to work together so that we can be steadfast together. But what do we do about weaker folks? Those who might slow us down, who might hinder our work, who might make us collectively look bad. Well, as Bruce just read from Galatians 6, those who are strong should help the weak. We should bear one another's burden. We should love one another. And I think one of the greatest ways that we as a church, we as God's people, can love one another is to care about each other's holiness. We should care enough to help each other to be holy. And the problem that we often face in the church is that we don't take our own holiness very seriously. So why would we care much about anybody else's holiness? You've hopefully seen the repeated phrase in your Bible reading plan as we're getting close to finishing Leviticus. Be holy, for God is holy. We fear the Lord. We are steadfast together. This morning we will hear the call to be holy together as well. So difficulties will arise in any group of believers. Sin will be exposed. Accusations will be made. But God gives us reason to fight our sin, to respond in love, to bear one another's burdens. And today, the sins of greed and the guilt that the people of God have, Nehemiah will show them that that could be changed. And it should be changed because of the work of God in our lives to generosity and to good works. So would you pray with me? God, we, we think about these ideas of guilt and greed, generosity and good works, and we just want to acknowledge, Father, that you, uh, you punish sin, you discipline sin. God, you pay for the sins of your people, of greed and guilt and, and a plethora of others because of the generous gift of your son and the good work that he did on our behalf. And so, God, would you help us to see that this morning? Would you help us to worship you in light of that this morning? God, would you help us to be holy for you are holy? And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll read Nehemiah chapter 5, that first section in your Bibles. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. 
Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children, and as are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not our power to help it, for the other men have our fields and our vineyards. This is Nehemiah. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and their words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, You are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them, and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brother that you may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God and to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interests. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting for them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also took out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. And so here in this first section, we will see Nehemiah must deal with the sin of greed. The people are starving. There is an outcry. And oftentimes in the scripture, especially in the Old Testament, when you see a famine, God is signifying this some sort of unhappiness with his people. God is getting Israel's attention. I personally don't like pain. This past week, I made a mistake. One of our bulls was being a bit rambunctious, and of course it was cold outside, so I was thinking it would be good to go check and make sure the water wasn't frozen. Well, I should have known better, but I was being lazy, and I didn't want to come out later in the day, and so I went over to the fence, I went over to the, wa uh, to the water, they had run out into the field. Well, he made it back inside the pasture and the corral before I got out. And so I could hear the words in my back of my mind from Cal or Phil or Bruce, be careful with the bulls. Well, let's just say in our home, we call this a natural consequence. He backed me up into the corner. Fortunately, I had a big snowbank that I climbed up on. And I kicked him a few times, but uh, chance, she tried to save my life with a few snowballs and got his uh, attention. Uh, but he got me a few times on my legs with his horns. And as the night progressed, the adrenaline ran uh, away. And I was like, oh, that didn't feel good. <laughs> well, hopefully, I remember. And I avoid that in the future. Well, this famine is like a reminder for the Jews of their heirs. C.S. Lewis, he says this, We can ignore even our pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Stupidity caused my pain. Israel's pain is due to their greed. This famine exasperated their situation. 
Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave of the lender. Paul tells his protege Timothy, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Greed has caused these problems for the people of Israel. The Bible doesn't forbid borrowing money or having a mortgage, but it cautions us. It may be the only way to buy a home these days. The Bible allows a man even to sell himself into slavery to get back on his feet. If you have already looked at your Bible reading plan for today, it talks about all of that. But there was a release in the year of Jubilee to reset the servitude. It wasn't to be perpetual. It wasn't to be that of greed. Rather, it was to be a means of benevolence. The children of Israel suffered most here. Families were broken up. Children were sold into slavery, not as higher workers. And Nehemiah was angry. It's the same word that was used of Sanballat last week when he was angry at the person of Nehemiah, when he hated Nehemiah's work. Nehemiah hates the sin of Israel. And so Nehemiah confronts three things. He confronts that they had mortgaged their property, they had sold their children, they had borrowed money to pay their taxes. Some had no land, but they needed to provide. Some had land, but they were short, and they had a short-term difficulty. Some had land and needed to borrow against it to pay their taxes. In each example, the hole got dug deeper and deeper and deeper. And so the hole was so big, canceling the debt and freeing the slaves, it would hurt the economy. It's the same argument before the Civil War. What if we free all these slaves? It is going to destroy the economy and our country. Who will pay off this debt? But it was right. And so they moved forward with doing what was right. It's like a recession, something to consider maybe as we look in the future. I'll just put that thing on credit, even though it's 24% interest. But then you can't pay it off, and so you borrow more. I'll just make the monthly payments, and eventually I'll get caught up. And more and more we dig ourselves into deeper holes, and the government provides us the opportunity for bankruptcy, and sometimes that's the only way out of things. And so if you recall 2008 and 9, it was called the Great Recession for a reason. So maybe we should apply some of this wisdom that we all hopefully learned from 15 years ago to what might come before us in the days ahead. In Nehemiah's day, the lenders were the greedy ones. Today, we talk about debt relief, right? And it's student loans. Well, the colleges are the ones who are the greedy ones, in my estimation. They want to hire more staff. They want to build beautiful new buildings. The students shouldn't have borrowed that money to begin with, like Israel shouldn't have sold themselves into slaves to begin with. But the love of money is causing all sorts of evil. Maybe based on Nehemiah's logic, the schools should pay back some of those student loans. Greed has always been the problem for man. Nehemiah doesn't go to God. He says he takes counsel with himself, we see in verse 7. Because Nehemiah knows the law of God. He knows what was in the Bible reading plan, but he also knows Deuteronomy 23. He says, You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest, that the Lord your God may bless you and all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And so he confronts their sin of greed in verse 8. 
and he includes himself in the sin. He does the same thing that Ezra did when he included himself. Even though he didn't participate in the sin, he includes himself in the sins of God's people. Nehemiah, he cares about the community of God. He's a stronger man, but he bears the burdens of the weak. He acknowledges the sin, and he goes after appealing to them via spiritual means and spiritual concerns. He says, fear God. God is good, and His love endures forever, if you remember from our time in Ezra. And their public offense has now led to a public rebuke. Verse 10, he says, abandon the practices. Be done with the interest. Be done with the slavery. Be done with the stranglehold that has God's people suffering. He isn't worried about the future. He's concerned about the present holiness of God's people because God is holy. The effect on his economy doesn't matter. And the people in verse 12 immediately obey. Their guess was yes, and their no was no. In verse 13, all of the assembly said, Amen. The Hebrew word that just means something like, so let it be. When we pray, we say at the end of a prayer, Amen, that we agree with these words, God, let it take place. They fear God. They have shame and they have sorrow. They restore the property. They forgive the loans. They set the slaves free. And in Colossians 3, Paul commands Christians to put to death that which is earthly in him. But then he follows up and he says, "Then put on godliness. And Nehemiah, he does the same thing. He says, put off this greed, but then we'll see in this next section, put on generosity. Look what happens. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah... From the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate any food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also preserved in the work of this wall, and persevered, rather, in the work of this wall, and we acquired no land. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, and six choice sheep, and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on the people. Remember for my good, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people. So the burdens were heavy. The price was high. Nehemiah didn't see his role as a means of advancement. He was in a position to serve. He set an example worth following. I've heard it said before that a recession is a rich man's garage sale. Friends, a recession is not an opportunity to take advantage of those who are suffering. Nehemiah shows us how to respond with generosity, not greed. Verse 17, Nehemiah describes his own humble generosity. He included himself in the sins of the people, and now he includes the people in his generosity. Meat and wine are not cheap, even in our day, yet he gives it away. The amount of things listed could feed hundreds of people. He is a humble leader that leads by example. 
And so hospitality is a means of generosity for Nehemiah. Next week, I'll share some more details at our family gathering after our service. Please come and join us. Bring a meal to, or a dish to share with everybody else. But I, I want to move forward with the things that we had talked about in December about family table, where we can all gather as God's people in different homes in each of our homes as we build up a community and a natural uh, means by which we will celebrate and we will uh, have hospitality together. My goal is that we will share a meal together, that we'll fellowship with one another, we'll pray for one another, we'll share scripture with each other, we'll remind each other of the gospel, and that we'll all see the joy that comes from biblical hospitality as we grow collectively as a community of believers. Paul says this to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 9. Verse 6 to 8, he says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all the things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So give as you've decided and trust God. Everything already belongs to Him. So we, in some sense, are just giving back to Him what He already owns. And Nehemiah gives us three things to remember in this chapter. He admits his own involvement in the sins of the people. He proposes a practical solution, not manipulating the system for his own wealth and growth. And third, he personally leads by example to take on the greater burden himself. And so Nehemiah is a wise and humble servant leader. He doesn't abuse his power. Greed transforms to generosity. But our buddy Stambalot is still around. And so he accuses Nehemiah of guilt in chapter 6. Well, you pick up in verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hekerephim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And, I, and they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalot for a fifth time sent his letter servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, It is reported among the nations in Geshem, and also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you were building the wall. And according to the, these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim prof concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such thing as you say have, have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will be done. It will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hand. Now when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, 
who was confined to this house, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because of Tobiah. And Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember, Tobiah and Sanballat, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So greed transformed to generosity, but in Sambalot's eyes, Nehemiah was still guilty. There's nothing new under the sun. The same accusations that Zerubbabel faced in the beginning of Ezra, the same accusations that Ezra faced in the middle of Ezra, are the same accusations that Nehemiah faces today. Sambalot has changed his tactics. He is, just wants Nehemiah gone. Nehemiah is the stumbling block for to, buy, or to Sanballat. And in verse 4, the resistance has hit its climax. And so four times they brought accusations, and four times Nehemiah responds. But a fifth time, Sanballat writes an open letter. And I personally have been surprised how much the work of Nehemiah and Ezra has fit into our current cultural climate. Letters were sealed by someone with authority and not intended for public reading. Open letters draw a crowd once they're made public. Our world is famous for open letters. Some of them are good. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote letters from a Birmingham jail, and he said, injustice anywhere is a justice everywhere. And so the civil rights movement began to move forward. But some open letters are not truthful. Open a major newspaper tomorrow. Read letters to the editor. Oftentimes, they're filled with complaints and accusations, becoming propaganda for evil agendas. Sambalot's open letter was a false accusation of a, revol a revolt and a rebellion. Over the last couple years, Christians and churches have started to use open letters to complain and make a public gripe about other believers. Individuals use social media as a form of open letters. Open letters do not always convey truth. Rather, they convey what someone postures to be truth. Just Google open letters in churches and you'll find things like letters against homosexuality in the church or against women in pastoral ministry in the church or open letters calling Christians bigots and misogynists and racists. In our world's eyes, we're guilty, like Sambalat felt towards Nehemiah. But God has ordered the world to be a certain way. We shouldn't be ashamed to follow God's word and submit to God's created order. And so consider who open letters come from before we jump on board with them. A great way to bear one another's burdens is to actually talk to one another, share a concern with one another, repent as needed, as opposed to making everything public. By going outside of the church, we cannot bear one another's burdens. A couple weeks ago, Kristen and I joined one of our members at our Royalton Town pre-meeting. The true colors of the town came out, and it was pretty fascinating. Tears were shed, 
accusations were made. Calls for public apologies were requested. False accusations were delivered. And I messaged a friend who is in politics in a small town in Maine about it, and I said something to the extent of, well, I had fun. It was very entertaining. Uh, and it reminded me of, uh, of an unsanctified church business meeting. And he kindly reminded me sometimes those are unsanctified as well. Let's talk directly to one another. Let's assume the best of one another. Let's extend trust to each other. Let's love one another based on Scripture. Let's not be like Sambalot in the world around us, in our communication, in our complaints against one another. Nehemiah, Nehemiah responds in verse 9. He reiterates the truth that God fights the battles, taking away our guilt in our shame. Nehemiah doesn't refute and return fire for fire in a public rebuke of Sanballat, which is what our world and oftentimes the church does these days. He goes to God in prayer. God, strengthen my hands. With this constant harassment that Nehemiah faced, I'd probably be discouraged if I was in his shoes. I'd probably want to give up. I'd probably want to walk away and just give in. But Nehemiah, he goes to the source of comfort. He goes to the source of power. He goes to the source of strength. He goes to his God. He goes to our God. Nehemiah is courageous. He doesn't hide and cower when dangers will come. He is tempted to go to the temple against God's word, making him guilty in the process if he did it. He says no. He fights temptation in verse 13. He asks God for help in verse 14. It had been easier to just go back to Persia, to get a nice cabin in the woods, to be left all alone, to get out of Dodge, but he didn't. He fights the accusations of guilt with God's word. In the face of greed, Nehemiah responded, Nehemiah responded with generosity. In the face of guilt, Nehemiah responds with good deeds. Look what happens. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in two, 52 days. And when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in our own esteem, for they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah and the son of Ara, and his son Jehoanan had taken the daughter of Meshalam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence, and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts, and some in front of their own homes. The city wall was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. And so in the midst of the threat we see in verse 17, it says they finished the wall. Nehemiah was faithful to the work that God had given him. He was a good leader, and God used his faithfulness to produce fruit, a wall. 
faith is trusting God when we can't see over the horizon. Nehemiah had faith in God that God would complete the work that he called him to do. For us, when God says that he will save us, when he will save his people from their sin by believing in the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, faith is believing that God will actually save us from our sins by believing that. It was faith that led Nehemiah to generosity. And in verse 19, it's his faith that leads him as well to good works. He didn't defend his words. He proved his loyalty to God. He served God with good deeds. He kept building and serving God's people. And in chapter 7, the work finishes. We'll see that the city is repopulated. The good deeds of obedience, they continue. You might be disappointed. I'm not going to read the rest of chapter 7 because it lists a bunch of names and it would take us a long time, even though I got through it last week. But in the face of questions about greed and guilt, Nehemiah, he could have been a hypocrite. The world would know, or sorry, he could have respond with, responded with, the world will never know. But God does. Nobody likes hypocrisy, especially in the church, right? If the flesh directed Nehemiah, he could justify violence towards his enemy. He could have quarreled back. Hypocritical leaders and churches have driven many away. Many of you know some people. Many of you might have been hesitant yourself to even come here this morning. We don't like hypocrisy, do we? If the flesh directs Nehemiah, he would be a hypocrite. Financially, socially, militarily, the small population of Jerusalem was vulnerable. But the people moved back into the city to strengthen the work. They plant themselves in Jerusalem and the surrounding community to work for God, to model what Nehemiah has worked or modeled for them to do good works. Remember this whole book series in Ezra and Nehemiah, it is a second exodus in some sense. And the exodus is being reversed here. As a result of their sin and their disobedience, they were taken away out of Jerusalem. But now they are coming back. And in faithfulness to the good work God has given them, they move back into the city of God. And God is fulfilling His promise that He said He would do with a remnant. Where Sambalot accused Nehemiah of guilt. And let's be honest, like Nehemiah, we are all guilty before God. But God has given us, like He gave Nehemiah, much grace. God has given us His Son as a substitute for our sin. God has been very, very generous to us. And so we should respond with generosity and good works like Nehemiah did. Because God has been most generous. He has accomplished great things, great works, greatest deed in the history of the world has been done for us through His Son. God has given us through Jesus, as the Apostle John says, grace upon grace. Like sitting at the ocean and you see wave upon wave after wave. It doesn't stop. Where God hates our sin more than Nehemiah hated the sin of God's people. Because God has given us so much, though, we can fight greed with generosity. We can fight guilt with good deeds. And our stuff belongs to God, so we can give it all back to Him. Jesus said it is better to give than to receive. We have a benevolence ministry here at the church. We can also be benevolently, directly benevolent directly to others. If you have needs down the road, if the recession hits you hard, please come talk to us. We would love to be generous to you. We want to trust God will provide for us. 
He's given us opportunity for the gospel in those acts of generosity to help those within the church, but also to help those outside of the church. But the abundant grace we have received in Jesus should lead us to be abundantly generous. Where we are no longer guilty either in Jesus. We have all sinned. We are all guilty at some point. Maybe you feel a little guilty even this morning. If you haven't believed the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you are guilty. Let today be the day that you believe where he takes away the guilt of your sin. Nehemiah was a stumbling block for Sanballat and his crew because Nehemiah wasn't guilty. Jesus was also called a stumbling block and he too was without guilt. This is what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so as we wrap up, a question, is Jesus a stumbling block for you? If he is, this morning's another opportunity to repent. If your guilt is paid for by Christ, Jesus, like Nehemiah, gives us reason to be generous and to do good works in response to what God has already done for us. Jesus as our cornerstone through belief is no longer a stumbling stone. He's a solid foundation to stand on. So generosity and good work should characterize the church just like it did for Nehemiah and the Jews in that day. And so church, let's be like Nehemiah. Let's hate sin. Let's fight sin together. Let's work together. Let's pray together. Let's be generous together. Let's do good work together. Where Jesus was rich as God, he had everything in heaven. He sustains the world, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so he humbled himself like Nehemiah humbled himself by taking on flesh, by obeying perfectly, by dying brutally, but also rising victoriously. And that's why we worship. And that's why we follow this example and we model it ourselves. And so we can do what Paul says to the Colossian shirts. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Would you pray with me? Father, as we already sang, we thank you. We thank you for your abundant mercy and grace that we did not deserve. Where we deserved punishment for our sin against you, a holy God. And God, thank you for not abandoning us. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die for us. 
and God, we still uh, struggle with sin this day. We thank you for delivering us from the power of sin, the penalty of our sin, but its presence is ever before us. And so, God, we pray the words of your Son that you would lead us not into temptation, but you would deliver us from the evil one. And out of the abundant grace that you have given us, that we could give back to you what is already yours in worship that is already yours through singing in worship that is already yours through giving of our tithes and offerings in worship that is already yours in obeying your word to love one another and so fulfill the law of Christ to fellowship with one another to pray for one another God would you help us to be a church that does good deeds laid out in your scripture not earning anything but responding in love for that which is already earned for us through your Son. And so, God, we desire to lift up our voice and sing of your greatness and your love and your mercy right now. Would you be honored in the rest of our time together? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.